Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, you need to pay attention to that. Whenever God warned you specifically that Satan will tempt you, God never warns us for nothing. That's not there just as a general, you know, just in case. God said, no, no, if you don't do this, Satan will come in and tempt you. If, if in the marital relationship, you're not loving one another, being affectionate, meeting one another's physical needs, God said that will leave a door open for the enemy to come in and tempt. Are you leaving a door open for the enemy? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he teaches you that the enemy is crafty. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He desires to destroy your marriages, friendships, and your life. However, Pastor Bill encourages you to stay steadfast in your walk with the Lord. When you abide and remain in Him, you won't be easily deceived by the enemy. Stay on guard against Satan's attacks and schemes by rooting yourself in the Word of God. God's with you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. So while we do live in a, a culture right now where um, marriage is, you know, it's, it's taken pretty lightly, I would say. People enter in and exit out of marriage like nothing, you know. There's not a whole lot that people put into it as they go. Some people marry, you know, because they just, you know, it's the right thing to do. There's some girls that... You know, once all their friends start getting married, they're like, I got to I got to get one. I got to find me one. They just grab a, uh, you know, they grab him and marry him and boom. Other people get married with the best of intentions, but haven't necessarily taken to heart God's word, God's commands, God's structure for marriage. Don't understand that it's a covenant. And so they treat it very lightly. Most people, I would bet I'm not, if I were a betting man, but I'm not. That the, the things that they're willing to say at the altar on the marriage day, they haven't given much thought to. On the marriage day, as you stand at the altar and all your friends are there, you got on your pretty dress or your cool suit and, you know, the minister's there. It just seems so easy that day to say, I vow my life to this person, give myself to no one else and la la, all the flowery, ooby gooby stuff that gets said. And then when it's time to walk it out, though, people haven't, it's, it's become very evident that people haven't thought it all the way through when we look at the reasons why people, you know, begin to consider divorce. You know, I'm unhappy. I know God wants me to be happy, so forth and so on. So hopefully as we go through this section of Corinthians, we're going to we're going to be helped. Uh, can I ask right now all the married people raise your hand? Can I just see who all our married people are? OK, great, great. Can I have all the single people raise your hand just so y'all know who each other are? You know what I'm saying? Take a look. <laughs> just kidding. All right. <laughs> We'll talk to y'all next week. But uh, y'all should listen up to this, too. It's Because, uh, you know, most, most single people will end up married at some point, Lord willing. But there's a few that have the gift. We'll talk about that. We'll get to that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. It says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So I guess I need to give some context. You know, we spent the last two chapters kind of dealing with sexual immorality, sexual sin and what was wrong with it. And we went all into that. So I'm not going to rehash that for you today. But we talked, you know, in detail about sexual morality. And Paul was letting them know this is not what God would have for believers, so forth and so on. So now now first Paul was correcting the stuff that he had heard that they were doing wrong. Now in chapter seven, it switches gears. They wrote Paul some specific questions that Paul wants to give clarity. So Paul says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, 
He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So speaking of single, if you're a single man, it's good if you're single not to touch a woman. Can I get an amen? amen. Why is that? Um, if you're single and we're avoiding sexual immorality, it's just a great idea that, you know, you can't get into sexual immorality if you don't touch a woman. So Paul says it's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So, you know, and I guess that would go both ways. If you're a single young lady, it'd be good for you not to be touching all men. Um, touching in a, in a sensual way, so forth, you know. So I, I would just say this real quick. We'll talk more to the singles next week. But in, let's say we get a couple that's single and they're considering marriage and moving forward. This is what we have jacked up in our culture. And I got to say this so we can move on to the married people. People that are single try to do so many things that married folk do that the, the urgency for the marriage gets slowed down. When I've seen it done right, when I see a young a man who's not fornicating with the woman, not getting any kind of favors or anything going down, he's just interested and, and wants to be married. And you got a wife that's saying same thing. No one's doing anything. Those marriages happen like this. I got, I've had men come, they're like, man, I'm gonna borrow some money. I need to, I'm gonna sell my hobby stuff and get a ring. I've had people, I've known guys that were like, man, I need to get a ring. I need to get it cracking. You know, these are, these are, these are, you know, months to year for, you know, marriage. And, um, not saying that that's how to make it happen quick or that's the only reason, but I know in our culture, when I'm looking at a three year engagement, I'm pretty sure pretty sure. I'm pretty dang sure this is not a holy three years. I don't believe in it. So when couples come to me and I'm like, well, when are y'all talking about getting married? Well, I'm into my, no, 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 no. Roll that way back. I'm, I'm not even going to wait for three years with y'all. You know, we, if y'all talking about marriage, you can go pray, hear from God and figure out when, how much it's going to cost. And let's do this as soon as possible. So y'all have some parameters until then. So on with the message. So that's what I say. I love y'all. I want to help y'all out. So um, he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman and if you're single you should be keeping your hands to yourself so you don't wrap yourself up in any kind of sexual sin now verse 2 nevertheless because of sexual immorality let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband so he says hey but nevertheless right it is good for a man not to touch a woman but nevertheless because people do get stumbled up and wrapped up into sexual immorality he says let every man have his own wife. I want to make sure I say own, not somebody else's wife, not your friend's wife, not your, your own wife. Let every woman have her own husband because of the society in which we live. I'm going to also emphasize this. Every husband has his own what? Not his own husband. I just want to, can I, I just want, I just want to, I, just in case you missed it, you know, every husband has his own wife and every wife has her own husband. Nobody has their own same thing. Amen. I'll make sure we clear on that. So um, let everybody have their own. So and he says one of the reasons is so that we don't stumble into sexual immorality. So let me say this. As much as you have a thirst, as much as you have a drive for hunger to eat, the sexual drive that human beings have is given by God. It's not bad. The fact that someone young begins to be attracted and desire. Not bad. Those aren't sinful things. It's sinful what we do with them. We can do something with those drives that is sinful, but in and of themselves, they're not sinful. God gave them and he gave the rules for them. The fact that a man will be attracted to a woman and a woman will be attracted to a man and desire, you know, to be hugged and kissed and intimate and all those guys. I did that. I put all that together. He made us like that. Then he said, now, now that's to be, that's to happen inside of a marital covenant, not to happen outside of the covenant. So, so 
He says, because of sexual immorality, let each person have their own. Verse 3. So let the husband render to the wife, to his wife, the affection due her. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. What does it mean to render due affection? It means this. Uh, it's a euphemism, actually. So when you look the word up, you'll see that it, it, it and, and it's the clear. The words are clearly saying goodwill. Let the husband render goodwill affection toward his wife and goodwill affection to her husband. But it's in a conjugal sense, in a, in, a, in a marital sexual sense. And so we're to render, a husband is to render to his wife the sexual affection due her. And the, the heart, my heart behind it is goodwill. So it isn't something that you coerce to do or it's, it's, it's given. It's given to one another. So the wife gives this to her husband. The husband gives this to the wife. Um, as an act of goodwill. It isn't something done begrudgingly or, or with the wrong heart or attitude or whatever. So now I thought this, I always thought this is interesting that the thing that God has to tell unmarried people to refrain from, he then has to tell married people to do it. Why is that, right? That's the devil, right? That's the enemy. The enemy, when, when you're not supposed to do it, He's like, do it, do it, you have to do it. And then people be stumbled in doing it. And then when you're not supposed to do it, oh no, I'm sorry, when you're not supposed to do it, you want to do it. Then you're over here where you're supposed to do it as much as you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. And they're like, I don't want to do it. You know, my nerves are like, I don't want to do it. So it's just interesting that it, it, he has to speak to both sides, to the unmarried, to don't touch her, stop it, don't go there. To the married, he's saying, y'all need to get it on. Bring the Marvin Gaye back out, you know, get it, get it cracking. So... You know, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her now within the marriage relationship. This God says this is now the proper context for sexual intimacy, romantic love, all those things. And we're to render this uh, this affection to one another. He goes on to explain in a little bit why. But I often will tell couples this is if, if you're married, this is the one person in the universe. That's it. This is the one person that God says this is this. I, I've set apart this relationship for you two to just enjoy, to bless each other. Um, I don't have time to go through all the other components of marriage. If you want to look at them, I encourage you to read Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, 1 Peter 7, 1 through, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. You know, where there, there's a lot of other components to the marital relationship as far as our heart and love and concern for each other. But here he's saying, hey, we need to, we need to meet this need. You know, I, I, I tell you know, other people this, that your husband or your wife, they have an itch. That only you can scratch. So you need to be scratching it. You know, you need to take care of it. You know, I could go eat anywhere. You know, I can, I can, anybody can fix a meal and I go eat at their house or eat at their kitchen or eat at their restaurant. But there's only one place I can pull up and, and, and enjoy, you know, sexual intimacy that's in my marriage with my wife, period. So God says that you don't want to, he's going to say in a little while, don't defraud one another in this. Look at verse four. It says the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, what does that mean? It's really clear to me. It says uh, the husband, you don't have authority. What's authority? Authority means in the same way when we come to Christ and he becomes Lord of our life. I'm I've surrendered authority. I say, God, my life is yours. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I don't I don't get to possess authority. I don't get to do what I want. I do what he wants now. Well, God says in the marital relationship, the husband 
doesn't have authority over his own body. So if the wife says, baby, I want, I want, you know, come cuddle with me. You know, you can't be saying, well, I'm tired. I worked all to get, 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 go, go eat a Red Bull, go, go get a snack, you know, <laughs> throw some water on your face. Like, you know, it's not your body, it's hers. And she's saying, I want it. Um, vice versa. Now, the husband to the wife, you know, it, it's, you know, I got a headache or I don't know what, you know, you can't do that in an ongoing way. Now, I have to say this. This doesn't mean that a, a, a one spouse or another can demand things or be abusive or coerce them to do things they're uncomfortable with. It's saying simply, you know, we we're, we 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 committed to this. And this is why people need premarital counsel, because we talk about this. Right. Understand when you before you get married that you're saying, hey, when they call, I answer. When they, you know, if there's a need, I'm, it's my, just my, my job to meet this need. I'm, I'm coming to the call, you know? Um, and there are many other places in marital relationship where you die to yourself and do things that are needed. Everybody has kids. You don't want to get up five times a night, but you do it. When they cry, they call, you get up and do it. Not because you want to, but you love them and you make a sacrifice to be a good parent. Um, there are things that you need to do in your marriage, die to yourself to be a good husband or to be a good wife. This is one of them. This becomes one of the areas within the marital relationship where people use it and abuse it in a wrong way. Um, sex is sometimes used as a punishment. So because you got on my nerves earlier today, now you're going to push all up on me. No, mm -mm, you know, and it becomes a, a punishment that's not supposed to be used like that. For some people, it get used as a tool of manipulation, something you want. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't want to explain, but y'all know if that's you, you know, if you're using this as a tool to get them to do something that you want or to buy something that you want or to, to sway them to one way or another. God is not for that. It's a gift that we freely give to one another in love and for the glory of God. It's not not to be used in that sort of way. So he says, you don't even have authority over your own body. Now, I would challenge every married person here. Do you see it that way? Do you? That's what God says. Do you see it that way in your marriage that, you know, what? I, I don't have a thought. Like if they say I, I want hugs and kisses and cuddles and, and, and shubblums, you know, then I got to just go. I got to do that. That's what's needed. That's what's desired. Do you see it that way? Because that's what God says. And if you want to have a good marriage, then we'll conform to this. You know, we'll just you know, it's going to be you're going to die to yourself sometimes to love your spouse in the way that they need to be loved at particular times. But it's what's necessary. It also needs to be said that rendering due affection is not just sexual. There may be someone that rendering due affection to them, just they don't want time. They want conversation. They want to cuddle up and lay and, and whatever. It's rendering them due affection. But in this context, it, it has that. It means that, too. Um, but it's not just that. So there could be two people that are having great, regular sexual relationships, but they're not rendering affection. They're not being loving to one another and they're not being affectionate in, in those in other ways that are needed. So um, it's not just that. It's both. So. Um, don't have authority of our own bodies, but our spouse does. That's something we agreed to. If you didn't know it, then write it down today. If you didn't know when you got married that you gave your body up. You said, if my body's yours, your body's mine. Today you know, and today you do different. Amen? Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you're writing notes, that word deprive, if you, if you write notes, it actually means to defraud, 
to defraud someone. Defrauding someone is taking something from them or keeping something from them that belongs to them. It would be like someone saying, you cheated me out of, you know, you cheated me out of my money. You, you, you know, you owed me this much and gave me, shorted me. I cheated you. God says for a husband or a wife to not render this to one, they're defrauding, cheating their spouse out of something that's rightfully theirs. So he says it's, that's a command. That, that language right there, do not defraud one another in this way. It's a command. So don't defraud one another. Then he gives the exception, right? Uh, except with consent for a period of time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So I don't know how many couples practice this, you know, but he says, you know, the, the one, if you guys agree that, hey, let's take the next week and fast and pray and, you know, and, and we're going to abstain even from physical intimacy for the next week while we fast and pray about some things. And you guys have to both agree. So it can't be like one person saying, I want to fast and pray this week. And the other spouse like, nah, we can fast and pray, but we're not, we're not abstaining from everything. You know, it's got to be something you agree upon. Because it's not your body, it's, it's, you guys are sharing it, so it's got to be agreed upon with consent for a set period of time. So it's not just, in, you know, it's not just going on and on and on, it's a set time. And then it says, and then come back together once again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, you need to pay attention to that. Whenever God warned you specifically that Satan will tempt you, God never warns us for nothing. That's not there just as a general, you know, just in case. God said, no, no, if you don't do this, Satan will come in and tempt you. If, if in the marital relationship, you're not loving one another, being affectionate, meeting one another's physical needs, God said that will leave a door open for the enemy to come in and tempt. Now, with that, if God is warning, God is saying, you know, it's one way of safeguarding the marriage, one way of saying, I, I want the enemy out of my marriage. God said, well, one way you keep him out is you take care of this aspect of the marriage, the romantic, you know, physical, intimate side of the marriage relationship. Now, this has to be said, too. There are marriage relationships where people can't actually have sexual relations. And that doesn't mean that they still, they still can't be intimate and affectionate to one another. There are scenarios I know of marriages where one person is actually the caretaker. They're, they're, they're taking care of their spouse who has had medical challenges or whatever, and they're not able to, to engage in these things that's okay. They're, they're still in affection and love. It may even be in deeper ways that they're dying to themselves and showing affection and showing love. So Paul will say in a little bit, I say this not as a, a command. It's a concession, not as a commandment. And I think it leaves that door open because God commands us to do things. If God commands you to do it, it means that you need to do it. But he leaves the door open at the end because there are people that they're not able, they're not capable and would hate for someone to be under condemnation in that case. And so there are people that have knowingly married someone that was, I know someone that's paralyzed from the chest down and that's just not a part of the marriage. They were young and they went in full, you know, fully aware and made that commitment and sacrifice. So um, there's room for that here. Um, but God is also warning and saying, look, for every other, for all the normal cases, um, God says, don't leave a door open for the enemy, right? Don't, don't leave your husband or wife out there unloved, uncovered, uncared for. That's leaving a door open for the enemy. It won't make it okay if somebody goes out and is seduced by the enemy, right? If, if someone goes out and sins, it'll always be their fault. They chose to sin. But this is where couples and marriages, you know, we can set each other up for failure, um, you can be very unloving and, and not take care of your, your spouse and leave them open to the enemy in that way. 
Now they fall. That's on them. They're wrong before God and they have to deal with that. But now you are wrong, too, for not doing your part within the marital relationship. Both of y'all are wrong. So we want to cover our marriages, protect them, keep them. And God here says, hey, this is one of the ways in which you cover your marriage. So, so I do all encourage all the married couples to consider how you're doing in this arena, in this area. I do encourage couples that this is a conversation you should have. Um, this is some of the uncomfortable things. But if you're a wife, you need to know, like, you, you should ask your husband, are your needs met in this area or not? Some of you don't want to ask because you already know they're not met, you know. Um, and, and husbands need to ask the same thing, you know, that, you know, are your needs met in this area? If they're not met, how could they be met? You know, we want to meet each other's needs in this way. Those are uncomfortable conversations, but it'd be better to have them on the good side of marriage than after it's dissolved and broke up. So those are conversations that if you have never had, you are unclear. I'm encouraging you when you go home after church today and the kids are gone, that y'all sit down and have a talk. You know, how, how are we doing here? You good? You good? You know, maybe everybody's good. You know, maybe not. Maybe maybe somebody's like, no, <laughs> you know, that's something to work out with one another. All right. We good? Moving on. <laughs> OK. Verse uh, six, he said, um, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Like I said, everybody, because there are some people that they're not capable. So he says this is a, a concession, not a commandment, uh, but still spoken under the inspiration of Scripture. Verse seven. Now, Paul's giving up and, uh, you know, Paul's speaking on his own behalf. Paul says, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What does Paul mean? Paul says, I wish everybody was like me. Paul is single and able to serve God without distraction. So Paul says, look, I wish you guys were all single like me, able to just go for it, serve God with no hesitation. But then he says, but everybody has their own gift. So there is a gift of, you know, singleness. There are some people in the body of Christ that they're, they don't have a desire to be married. They're content to be single. They're not stumbled. They're not, they're not burning with passion and lust. They're very content to stay single and to serve God without distraction. I know a few of those people. I know a few people that are just, I'm like, and I don't understand it. So I'm like, because I don't have that gift. So I'm like, you, you know, you, you look at me, you know, I'm like, I can hook you up. Know, they, they're they very content. They're like, no, nah, I think I'm just going, I'm good. Praise the Lord for you, you know. Um, so how do you know if you have that gift? You're just content to be single. You're fine. No problem. No, you know, you're not, you're not stumbling. You're not looking at everybody, raise their hand when they said single. You didn't go, you know, you were looking for a prospect, you know. You might be you might have the gift. You might be all right. So if you don't, though, and this is what was happening back here, there were some extremes going on. So what typically what happens many times is, you know, something is shown as wrong. People go the whole other pendulum. So it's wrong to have sexual sin within. OK, so this holy it's holier to just not have sex at all, even in the marriage. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. In the marriage, don't do that. He, he cleared, cleared that up. It's not it's not better. You know, it's not a it's not a, a holier thing to. Sex is not bad in its proper context. And that's what Paul is laying out for them here. And when he says, I wish all men were just like me, he said, I wish. But he recognizes, as soon as he said that, he said, but everybody has their own gift, one in this manner and another in that. Um, there's another verse Paul said, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As Paul was speaking about false teachers and some of the things they would be teaching in the last days, he said one of the things that they would do, false teachers, would forbid people to marry. Right. That's not a Christian doctrine or teaching. We don't forbid marriage or discourage marriage. Uh, we, I encourage marriage unless you're called to be single. I encourage you to be married in a godly way. So 
um, what, you know, I just will answer for you guys, you know, whenever you find a, a group that uh, forbids marriage or acts as though marriage is unspiritual, that it'd be more spiritual to be single, um, you suppress a very natural thing and then some very unnatural things result, i.e. the Catholic Church. First Corinthians touches on how the city of Corinth was rampant with idolatry and immorality, not too different from cities of today. Does this mean that you run away and isolate yourself from the sinful world? No, but Paul's letter did communicate that as a Christian, it's important to live a life that's upright and pure before God, even in the midst of a dark and sinful world. When the pressure is great, your opportunity to contrast the dark with light can be even greater. How does one do this with all the influences pressing in? Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all things. If you're seeking some assistance with where to read, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to joining Pastor Bill again next time right here on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word